0: open your copy of God's Word to Philippians chapter 3. We're looking this morning at the first three verses. Hear now God's Word. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Here's a passage of scripture that uh, Paul, as Philippian pastor, just, he throws out there. He says, it's just safe. This is a safeguard for you. I grew up in, in, a, in a time where we had very little safeguards. You know, we didn't have seat belts. We didn't have uh, chain locks and hand locks on the chainsaw. We didn't have stops on the table saw and skill saw. Lots of things we didn't have that, as they started putting all these safeguards on, I thought, you know, do you want it? Do you not want it? And there has been many a times I said, yeah, so glad that was there. That safeguard has saved me from losing a leg or an arm or a finger or those kind of things. Well, there are spiritual safeguards too. And Paul is writing about the spiritual safeguards that we have here. It could be wrong thoughts, wrong ideas, uh, wrong doctrine. Um, It could be anxiety and stress and busyness that he says, I'd like to spare you of some of these things. And I can do that by giving you wisdom, by giving you warnings, and by encouraging you in worship. That's, I think, the three main blocks in this passage. First of all, let's look at the wisdom that uh, he's um, imparting. Verse 1, finally, you know when a preacher says, finally, what does that mean? It means they're going to go on for another hour, Right. Uh, A lot of times when you use the word finally, you don't really mean finally. You mean finally I can get to something. Not necessarily finally I'm almost done. And that's the way it is with Paul here. Uh, Because he goes on for another 44 verses. There's a lot more to say. But it's like the stuff I told you last week about Epaphroditus and the week before about Timothy. All of that was important and good and you need it. Because they're going to come and be your pastors and minister to you. And you need to know them and honor them, respect them. But finally, I get to get back to what I want to say. So I think he's moving that direction. He says, I want to write some stuff to you. Finally, my brothers, I rejoice in the Lord to write some stuff to you. And the stuff he wants to write to us, he says, it's the same thing I've already written to you. Here's a preacher who says, I want to repeat myself. And I want to repeat myself because you need the safety that comes with repetition. You need to be safeguarded, and you might have missed it. So what is he repeating? Let me, let me show it to you. Look back at chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Oh, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Now look at chapter 2, verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon your sacrificial um, service. I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. And then again in chapter 3, verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who humiliate the flesh. Three times he says, I've told you, you live in a perverse world. There are wicked people who are out to get you. I've told you, you've got opponents. You've got adversaries. And I'm t- going to tell you again, you got dogs. you got evil workers. you got opponents, the adversaries that are coming to harm you. And it is no trouble of mine to tell you that again and again and again, because it's a safeguard. We tend to think that the more we grow in Christ, the more mature we get, the more teaching we get, the more we do the disciplines of grace, that we're safe. And Paul says, can I tell you, you're going to be attacked whether you think you're safe or not? You have to be guarded. It's gonna happen. It's not not gonna happen. He says, you know, you, you take uh, the apostle Paul. He's he's mature in the faith, and he was constantly attacked, and he knew that would happen. It's it's kind of like the uh, some of you got little. I call them yip yip dogs. Anybody got one of those? Okay. What do they do? Why I call them yip yip? Because they just go, you know, they just. Rapid succession of barks. What I have noticed about those dogs, it is no trouble for them to do that. None whatsoever. And that's what Paul's saying. It's no trouble for me to say the same thing. To bark it at you over and over and over and over and over. The thing is, you got to get why I'm doing it. I'm doing it to help you. Usually when the dog barks and he hasn't been barking, somebody's coming. You need to be guarded. And he's letting you know something is happening. Paul's doing the same thing. So it's not really a trouble. Uh, so, but pay attention to it. There. You need you need your guard up. Look at Proverbs 15, 22. Very common um, passage that counselors use a lot. I use a lot. Um, we probably all know it, but let's, let's review it. Proverbs 15, Without counsel, plans fail. Don't miss the word many, but with many advisors, they succeed. Without counsel, plans fail. How many times do you get older in the faith and you say, I got this? And Paul says, oh, yeah, but I, can you guard yourself a little bit? I like, I, a lot of times when people say, hey, let's just go this. Uh, well, let me, let me check a couple of references first. Don't plan and work in such a manner that you don't think you need counselors or advisors. And maybe it's a good idea to get at least two people who've already done it before you and get their advice what did you learn, how did you mess up, how did you succeed, you got to somehow get into the many advisors, they succeed, so that's why I'm saying, maybe try to find two people, when you're, you've got a plan, something you need to do, and you want to do it for Christ, you want to succeed, then call up some brothers and sisters in Christ that you think might have already been there and done that, because why? We always say hindsight is what? 20, 20. You can see so much better if you can look through the eyes of somebody who's already done it, been down that road. What do they see now? Get into the realm of many counselors. It's no trouble for them. Just as it was no trouble for Paul. Saying, oh yeah, I've been there, done that. So I don't, I don't mind. It's, it's not effort on my part to to tell you what I learned, what God was doing in that. Spend time with others. Listen to them over and over and over, even if you think you've got it. Uh, Learn from others. I think that's first what Paul is saying. It is safe for you to listen to me and others time and time and time again. And then he moves to the warnings, verse 2. Notice how he says it three times. Look out, look out, look out. New American Standard, beware, beware, beware. He wants us to not just let this go in one inner and out the other. I don't know that he's, he's describing three groups. He may be describing one group of people three ways. He's just trying to alert us to those who suddenly, I think, become our adversary. They might not even see themselves as an adversary. But Satan is using their language, their talk, their lifestyle to harm us. First group is called the dogs. Look out for the dogs. And you've got to remember, he's not talking about your dog. He's not talking about American dogs. He's talking about wild dogs. Back in the day that this was written, I don't know that they had any pet dogs. They were wild dogs. Think about a coyote today, perhaps. I don't know anybody that's got one of those tamed in their home. They're just an ugly wild dog. Or a wolf. It could be an ugly wild dog. And he's thinking, he's describing people that way. That You think of a coyote. You think of a, a, a wolf. You, you think of a dog that's out to devour. That's out to harm. Oh, it's not a dog to cuddle up with and pet. Get, get in mind what he's talking about. So he's using this metaphorical figure, and he's using it in a way that we should understand. So let's look uh, at some passages of Scripture that talks about people as dogs. Look at Proverbs, uh, Psalm excuse me, 22 first. Psalm 22. Here the psalmist also uses this metaphor describing people that we need to watch out for. This is uh, perhaps the most popular psalm that Christ used uh, many times quoting from here when he was on the cross or going to the cross. Psalm 22, uh, start with verse 16. For, for dogs encompass me. And how does he describe them? They're, they're a company of evildoers. Paul is going to use that language, evildoers. These dogs, they're a company of (coughs) evildoers. Excuse me. They encircle me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword and my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Paul, the psalmist here is describing evil people. People that just come to take from us, take from us, take from us. And even the description of Christ on the cross, them taking his clothes and crucifying him. they were evil men involved in Christ's crucifixion. We need to beware of they're people who will take the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Love, and crucify Him. If people will do that to someone who's doing them no harm, what will they do to you? What will they do to me? He says, guard yourself. There are devourers like that. Perhaps over dogs. So like I said, it's hard for us to get the dog analogy. Look at Matthew chapter 7. Verse 6. Matthew 7 6. Jesus preaching here Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Don't give your holy stuff to the howlers. Don't give your pearls to the pigs. You're wasting your time if you don't guard yourself. There are certain <coughs> uh, relationships you might be in. There are certain groups you might be in. And you want to help them, right? So you, you start giving them good stuff. And God says, be careful, I want you to give and I want you to minister, but there are certain people who don't need your gifts. And you shouldn't give them your gifts because they just devour you. It takes all your time, it takes all your energy, it takes all your thoughts, and you're not really producing fruit, are you? You're not seeing lives changed. You're not seeing the church built up. It says, guard yourself. They're dogs. They devour And you got to be aware of those dogs. Well, I think that's what's going on in Philippians 3.2. Look out for the dogs. Um, Maybe one other illustration, because I I think it really drives home. Isaiah 56, 10 and 11. Isaiah 56. I was thinking about skipping this, but uh, it, it shows you how subtle a dog can be. Isaiah 56, verse 10 and 11. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. See how subtle the dogs can be? Here we have a different description. Instead of a wild devouring, we have a silent slumber. A leader, it says, calls him a shepherd who just has an insatiable appetite to take people down. But he does it through laziness, idleness, through silence, bringing us down. This dog, this evil person that's just getting us off course, getting us off path, leading us astray. And sometimes taking what we have in the process. That's how God just uses that metaphor consistently through the scriptures. Beware. Look out for the dogs. Now, move on. Look out for evil workers. Second bark that he gives us here. Um, I think it's the same group. Suddenly, this evil seeking to... uh, just get us out of what God wants us to do. Oppose Christ. Oppose Christians who are unaware. Let's go back to Jesus' sermon. Look at Matthew 7, beginning at verse 15. Matthew 7, beginning verse 15. Jesus is talking about the tree bearing fruit. And he uses evil workers uh, in this category. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. You think, I thought I'd be able to tell a sheep from a wolf. Uh, No, you're going to recognize them by their fruits. They're going to look like you. Uh, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. (coughs) Just when, when you're engaged in something, start asking the question what will be the fruit of this action? What will be the fruit of this conversation? So don't just look at the beginning of meeting with someone, conversing with someone. Try to end your mind, look at the end of the time. After I've spent time with this person, after I've had conversation with this person, what will be the fruit? A Christian is looking for good fruit. When others sometimes meet with me, and I'm thinking in my head, okay, where's this going? What's going to be the fruit of this? And when I discern there's nothing but division, there's nothing but heartache, there's nothing but pain, there's nothing but uh, pulling down the body of Christ, harming God called Saints so okay then maybe this is a conversation this is a group of evildoers this is something God told me to be beware look out for because it happens uh, and we'll know it by really thinking through the fruit of that experience. Look at Luke chapter 13. Luke 13 beginning at verse 24. It says, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able when the once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, "Lord, open to us." Then he will answer you, "I don't know where you you come from." And then you will begin to say, "Yeah, but we we ate and we drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets." But he will say, "I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil." See. Another description of evil workers. They may be in the church. In that case, the church was the streets where Jesus was preaching. They may be in the streets. They might might have eaten at the church feast, drank with the church folks. They said, we we ate and we drank and we, we know about you. We know you're the way to heaven. And that's why we're knocking at heaven's door. And Jesus says, no, I don't know you. I don't know where you come from. What did they miss? What were they, what's describing the evildoer here? It's not someone that's really receptive to Christ. It was not someone that was really... They were going through all the physical activities of the church. But it was not someone that was eating Christ's word. Engaged with Christ through prayer. It was not someone that was communing with Christ... And the communion table is to remind us of that each week. I need intimate time with Jesus. And these evildoers didn't have it. Jesus knows who are his. he is. No, no, no. We, we didn't ever have that relationship. You just wanted to use the church. You just wanted to use me to escape hell and get to heaven. And that's not communion. That's not a changed life. That is someone who's in charge. You haven't surrendered and subdued yourself to Christ as your master. One other place, Acts chapter 20, verse 29. You see how subtle some of these things are. Acts 20, 29 says, I know that after my departure, this is Paul talking to the Ephesian elders, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in Again, that metaphor. Uh, And they won't be sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Do you get yet that someone who teaches you a twisted thing is a fierce wolf? Would you have used that analogy? Would you have called them evil? Oh, they're just, they're just messed up in their brain. Their elevator doesn't go to the top store. You know? It's that kind of thing. Or do we say, wait a minute. They actually want me to follow them. They want me to believe them. They want me to go that direction, and it is not the direction of Christ. Look out, look out, look out. God says, this is happening all the time. This is evil people... Twisting the words of Christ to get you to follow. And we must be aware. It's a safeguard for you. I don't mind saying it over and over. Paul says, I don't mind saying it over and over. Because it helps the people of God. It honors God to keep the people of God safe. And we're not safe if we follow everybody that comes with a word from God. One other category, uh, back in Philippians 3, so they're called dogs, they're called evil workers or evildoers, and he says, and they're called circumcision. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, by mutilating, it's cut the flesh in some way, and the act of circumcision was one of those acts, Oh, so that's just, it's, it's a mutilation. This is a person that is really all about ritual. The cutting of the flesh. Tattooing us somehow to say, that's more religious, that's more godly. And he says, beware of those kind of people. The people who just want to push on you their rituals, their services, their rules, their regulations. um, Their outward concern and missing an inward concern couple passages on this as well look at romans 2 28 and 29 here paul also uses a circumcision analogy romans 2 28 for no one is a jew who's merely one outwardly nor is circumcision outward and physical But a Jew is the one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart. By the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. An evil worker is somebody who doesn't get this. A mutilator is somebody who doesn't get this. They don't get that their outward ritual is not the thing. They think it's everything. And Paul says, they think it's everything to be a Jew, outwardly. Paul says, no, I need you to be a Jew inwardly. I need you to be a people of God inwardly, not nationally. And they think circumcision outwardly, well, that makes you look better. I wanted to see your hearts cut open and you bleed Christ. You bleed his word that inwardly you are his. Evil people don't get that. They just look at the outward, and they're missing the heart. They're missing the spirit for the letter. They're missing the praise of God. God says, well done, good and faithful servant. They want men to say, well done, good and faithful employee. They're missing that. So again, be on guard. Where uh, do you get your praise? Do you think about God's praise of man? Do you think about God's work in the heart and spirit of a man? There are plenty who do not. They only think of the outward things, the religious things uh, that make us look like Christ or make us look like good church folks. Warning. Are you getting the warning yet? I have a hard time getting warnings. Struggle with that. I see that speed limit sign that says curve 10 miles an hour and my mind thinks 10 miles an hour that's that's how that's the speed i do when I, when i go do a south carolina rolling stop you know you roll up to the stop sign you look that's 10 miles an hour i said there's no way that curve up there's 10 miles an hour that's what's going on in my head i can do it at 30 and 35 i know until you get into the curve and say, ah! you know, and you're you're leaning on the brakes, and he said, I hope nothing's coming the other way, because it really is a 10-mile-hour curve. Somebody was true. Most of the time they're not. And it's just hard when you have warnings over and over and over to keep believing them. But Paul barked it three times. Says, I want you to believe me because it's safe for you. I want you to be safe. I don't want to see you devoured. I don't want to see you off course. I don't want to see you missing the beauty of being intimate with Christ, experiencing being washed by his blood and filled with his righteousness. I, I don't want you to miss that, and you will. If you don't stay on guard, we move on. Philippians 3, verse 3: For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Now, nobody in my lifetime has ever come up to me and said, We are the circumcision. You know, we go, We are the champion. You know, that's what we do, we're champions. But he said, no, we're circumcision. Yeah! Y'all don't do that either, do you? Paul does. We are the circumcision. Good grief. What's he talking about? He gets that this is something extremely significant or he wouldn't be saying it this way. This is who we are. This identifies us as opposed to The non-Christian who is different, or the evil worker who is different. True circumcision is a true, genuine, life-changing faith that's freed from outward traditions. It's those who worship and do so properly. That's who we are. We are the circumcision. It's those who boast about a changed heart not a physical change. A changed heart, a changed life in Christ, distinguishing ourselves from others. Look at um, John chapter 4, this woman at the well story. Jesus is engaging with her, and, and we get to see I think her conversion. And her conversion is Involves her coming out of an outward understanding of Christ and the Messiah completely. Uh, chapter four of John, verse nineteen. The woman said to him, "Sir," so this is the woman, at the well, talking to Jesus. "I perceive that you're a prophet. <coughs> Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, that's the place where people ought to worship." Jesus said to her, you see, what's going on there, her being the Samaritan and Jesus being a Jew, said, we both worship, but you got a different church. You think Jerusalem's a special place and the temple's a special place. We were never allowed over there, so so we worshiped here. I think I got this thing figured out. Jesus says, um, verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain, your mountain, nor in Jerusalem, my mountain, will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. It's kind of the hint there that she's worshiping the place, the thing, the ritual, the outwards things that make people acceptable to God. Uh, you worship, and you don't even know. We worship what we know. Jews have always known certain things you didn't know. Salvation is from the Jews. It's going to be a Jew that's going to be the Savior. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers, so he's getting to the point, true worship, true worshipers of the Father will worship in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things Jesus said to her. Ask me. I who speak to you am he. And did you see? The disciples showed back up, kind of break up the conversation, but down in verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and she went away into town and she said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Because she was convicted that when Christ shows up, he can tell you everything. And he says, that's what he did. Is this not the Messiah? And the Messiah said, he wanted me to worship in spirit. Not on this mountain, not on that mountain, not in just a service. In a spiritual way, he wanted to make me his and knew that I could worship. And that it wasn't about me seeking God, but it was about God seeking me. He was seeking those who worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about a seeker service. It's about a seeker God. And she got it. And she was changed. Her heart was torn. Unbelievable. Just dropped her perhaps most prized possession, the water jar. and just ran to talk about. Jesus, do we get, we are the circumcision. She was saying, I'm not in that group, I'm sorry. Then she says, no, I am in that group. Because God's changed me from the heart. He's put a new spirit within me. and That's the spirit of God. Praise God. What a life. That's changed. Look at one other passage, Galatians chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. Galatians 6, 12 through 16, it says, It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may be, may not, excuse me, not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, neither uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace, And mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul says, it's not about these outward things, is it? It's about a new creation. Can you honestly say, I am a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I have a new view of Christ I have a new view of people. I have a new view of church. I have a new view of worship. Behold, I am a new creation. Changed by Christ. There always be people to try to draw me back and draw me away from newness in Christ, from life changing Christ, from eternal work of Christ, from spiritual work, spiritual things, Christ working in me. Look out, look out, look out. It's not fruitful. The life in Christ is always bearing fruit. We're being transformed from darkness to light every day. Safeguards, we need them. I suspect some of us have been duped. We've missed it from time to time. Come back. Ask me to preach this over and over and over. Why? Because it's safe for you. And it's safe for me. To be on guard because our adversary, our enemy, is seeking to destroy Christ and his church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Caring so for your people, your church. Thank you that Christ has shed his own blood for our souls. Lord, let us not be those who treat carelessly the souls you so cared for. Let us be those who are guarded. Let us be those who are pure in spirit, who are changed and given a new spirit, those who follow Christ and are intimate with Christ, who feed on Christ, who can't not be in the word of Christ, to be like Christ. Father, for those around us that we see they're being led astray, And they're missing the glorious worship of Christ. Help help us to reach out and minister to them. Help us to see even our worship as a safeguard. That coming week after week to praise you and adore you gets us back focused on you. And not on a path that leads us astray. Father, we ask that you forgive us of our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness, And again, put us on course for this week to please and honor you, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.